0: Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Carr. Hey, Jim. Hey, how you doing? Good. How you doing, buddy?
1: Just before you said that, I thought to myself, my God, this is 149 episodes we've been doing this
0: Hundred fifty-ish, ish, ish, yeah. yes, ish, yeah. ish. I don't know what episode number this is offhand. And you still but, you like know, me? It's waning, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I have to say. But thank you for that intro.
1: It is always a pleasure. And here we are again. We're in our our home studio here at beautiful DMDII in Goose Island, Chicago. Gotta love this place. It's always great. I say this all the time. Every time I come here, I get amped up about our industry because it's really taken off. People are busy. People are busy and people are spending money. Yes. And people are really excited about spending money and excited about the future of the industry. I mean, I think the optimism is the best that it's ever been. Based on what I'm hearing from Nam and their quarterly or annual surveys that they do, they're saying optimism is at
0: all-time highs. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, everybody outside of manufacturing are going to start talking about manufacturing because it's getting big. Yeah, it really is.
1: But, you know, Jason and I were just talking before we hit the record button, and you're going to hear an episode I did with a manufacturing leader here in the Chicagoland area by the name of Anissa Muthana, and her company is Pioneer Services. And it's quite long, and we were deciding whether or not we were going to edit some of it out, but we played it back and it was... We're just going to keep it. Yeah. We think it is very inspirational to all manufacturing leaders out there. So what we're going to do is just
0: cut the banter. Well, the reason we're talking about this is that we've gotten some feedback that maybe some of our episodes have gotten a little longish. They used to be 30 minutes approximately, and they're getting a little bit longer. So we want your feedback and we want to know, does that matter to you if it's 40 or 50 or... Twenty or thirty does it really matter to you uh, what the length of it is because we 've gotten some feedback from people, but not a ton, but we want to know generally from the metalworking nation, do we need to stick to that number in order to provide value during your commute or your workout or whatever else that you're listening to making chips absolutely
1: so let us know and here 's the tee up to this interview that I did with her. I just think that the manufacturing industry is so dynamic and Unless you get out of your business and start meeting people and engaging with people, you never really get the full feeling of the reasons why we're in the manufacturing industry. And I think Anissa just is a prime example of people that you need to get out to start engaging with and, and learning about each other. Because and
0: understanding people's stories and how they got into it and what drives them and everything like that.
1: Absolutely. So I hope you all enjoy this, and I would love to hear some feedback. <laughs> Hello, Metalworking Nation. Jim here. I am thrilled to bring you this interview today with a stereotype destroyer. And she is just absolutely more than I anticipated, and I'm really happy to bring her to the Metalworking Nation and let her tell her passionate story about manufacturing. I don't believe I've ever talked to anybody who has been more passionate about the industry than Anissa. Anissa Muthina, please welcome to Making Chips.
2: Hi, Jim. Thank you very much for having me.
1: You're very welcome. It's absolutely our pleasure to have you here and tell your story. So currently... You are the president and co-owner of Pioneer Service, Inc. in Addison, Illinois. That's correct. Tell us a little bit about your story. And where it all started from.
2: Started at the prime age of 11.
1: 11 years old. Share with us how that started. Was your dad in the industry? Was your dad working here at Pioneer? No.
2: My parents both own M&M Quality Grinding in Chicago. Okay. It started in Elk Grove Village, 190 Crossan Avenue.
1: I should know where that's at. My business is in Elk Grove.
2: Yeah, that was 1981. Don't do the math because you'll know my age.
1: Okay. (laughs) I promise I won't.
2: <laughs> so yeah, at age 11, my father opened up a machine shop and he needed cheap labor. So he looked at my brothers and said, okay, guys, you each get a a grinder. So they started grinding bars back in the 80s. Wow. And he gave me sandpaper and told me to sand down some
1: desks. I some desks?
2: Yeah, he bought some He didn't desks. want you
1: on the machines. He wanted you on the desks. No,
2: he loved that I was very organized at a very young age. And I was a clean freak. So he did that to me. He gave me desks. Came from an auction. He had machines and he had desks. I was in charge of the desks. And so I sanded down desk after desk. And I went back to him and I said, okay, I want to grind bars. And he thought I was crazy. And he said, you can't grind bars. You're a girl. And I said, I can do it. And so my brothers, you know, chuckled and no one took me seriously. I nagged and nagged and nagged until probably when I was around thirteen years old. He had me cleaning out tanks. He had the me sweeping tanks. Oh yeah. Oh
1: Oh, I've done I, you that know before what? too. That is not a pretty job. It, Especially in the mid-80s before they had all that technology. <laughs> I know, I know how they used to be.
2: You know, Jim, honestly, it was a dirty job. It was the a stigma dirty was job. Jim was correct back then. Yep. But I didn't mind it. I really didn't. I wanted to grind, no doubt in my mind. I wanted to be a grinder. I wanted to be my father's daughter. Okay. But It was the family business. It was supporting the family. It was how we spent our time together. I loved it. I loved being on the shop floor. Whatever role he had me doing, I loved it. He had me in the office. He had me filing. I developed organization skills very young, very quickly. But at age 13, I said, listen, if I'm not going to get to grind bars, I'm not coming in. Wow. So he set up a ringer in the shop. So, because I would answer phones and I would jump over bundles to go answer the phone phone at age 13. And this is, you know, after school and right, I I understand. Although he did take us out of school every once in a while, (laughs) but for the most part, I loved grinding the bars and he allowed me to do that at age 13. And he stepped back and he was like, Oh my goodness, because of course, you, you know, simply it. rivalry. I wanted to be the best.
1: Yeah, I get it. I get that. It's a little yeah. bit of competition, right? I
2: wanted to prove them wrong. I wanted to prove I can hang with my brothers.
1: I love that. So you're 13, you're working in the family business, mm-hmm. you're on these centerless grinders, you're coming in after school, you're mm-hmm. spending the weekends there with your brothers, your siblings, your parents. How did you make this transition to where you are today? So bring me through the timeline.
2: Sure. Back in 1993, basically three of the top 10 customers were mine.
1: At m M&M. and At
2: m M&M. and I was in charge of receivables, payables, payroll. I was the only signer on the bank accounts at age 23. Wow. I loved what I was doing, but I realized I never wanted to be a partner. I never wanted more than what my brothers had, but I realized that even if my brothers and my father and my the people in my family took me seriously, the shop guys didn't, the truck drivers didn't, The suppliers didn't. They would always go over me into whether talking to one of my brothers or my father and always tested and called me a princess and daddy's little girl. Right. And I didn't mind it at first. But then when you want to be taken seriously, I just felt that that was not going to happen there. And so you
1: had an opportunity.
2: My uncle was in my ear. He went into business with a few people in 1990 for Pioneer. And he was actually competing with my family at one point. And, bar, and grinding. bar grinding, okay. Mm-hmm. And he was brown and sharp screw machines, okay. of grinders, sure. And he basically said, "Come on this side." And first so you I went said, to work no. for
1: the competition.
2: What I did was, I well, was I mean, helped. really,
1: it kind of was, but at the end of the day, it wasn't because it was still. He
2: was a competitor of my dad's, no doubt about it. So I came and I gave him two conditions. First condition was he'd be my silent partner and I would run things. My uncle was a machinist. He wasn't a businessman. He was a machinist. He was one of the best machinists you'll meet. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in his 40s and the drive was no longer there for him to run the company. Right. And he wanted me to come on board and he knew so he trusted me. So was he the me.
1: sole owner At time. of Pioneer yes. Okay, Yes. So I would not he have wanted come. you to come on as a silent partner.
2: No, he wanted me to come on and run the shop. He okay. wanted me to run the company.
1: And he would be the silent and partner. And
2: I told him that would be my condition with, Two conditions, actually. Number one, that he would be a silent partner. Him and his wife were my partners. Okay. And also, we would not do any bar grinding. We would only do bar grinding for our own
1: needs, Okay. which was
2: required because a lot of times, you know, as a scrimmage shop... You're not going to get the size
1: diameter right. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: it's cheaper to do it internally with the overhead versus getting it from the outside, even if it's from my family.
1: And plus, you've got control over it, too.
2: Absolutely. So, he agreed. He He had no problems with that because the company was very... It was on... The verge of closing. He was not
1: doing well at that time.
2: He so had one he customer. He had
1: a great skill set mm-hmm. and he knew his craft very well. He just didn't know how to run a business all that well. Is that right?
2: That's right. And it wasn't something that he wanted to do either.
1: You know what I mean? He wasn't passionate about it. He wasn't
2: passionate. And then it would have been too many chiefs and not enough Indians if it was me and him. And in all honesty, he would have stayed. He would have run the company with me side by side. Mm -hmm. But because I left the dynamics of a family business, I wasn't going to go into the same dynamics. And I wasn't going to have to prove myself and... Butt heads with people, and they're gonna go over me to my uncle. I already lived that for so long. Right. You know, I literally would walk into the shop, and guys would whistle. These are the guys that I were signing their checks on. And so Boy, I. was- has the
1: culture changed.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yes, oh, it, absolutely. It ha-
1: so that's 93. You yes. come on. Mm-hmm. What was the first call to order that you had to do? Pricing. We had one customer, higher or lower. Had to go up or down. Oh, God, up. Up. Okay. Well, obviously, you were saying they weren't doing well.
2: They weren't doing well. We had to be competitive with new customers. They had one customer at the time. Wow. Maybe two or three very small customers, but one major customer. You know, that's very common in
1: very small manufacturing companies around this country, though, especially back. Old school manufacturers, because I know at Car Machine and Tool, Mm -hmm. for many, many years, we were dependent on one major customer for two decades. Yeah. And you just can't do that. It's a dangerous situation to be in.
2: As far back as 2010 and 11, we had a handful of customers that dictated basically what we were doing. But back then, it was just one customer. So I went through the Thomas net. I knew enough about the ThomasNet, and I was calling on customers that I was providing parts of bar stock from M&M. M&M. And obviously, we were competitors, so they didn't want to give us business. So I went out of my comfort zone. I was making cold calls. I was wow. traveling to Michigan, to Missouri. Anywhere and everywhere that I knew that required machine parts. And at the time, not complex parts. We had precision grinding, which brought value to the parts. The two-tenths tolerance is what we would hold on the diameter. But as far as machining, you know, you had chamfers, radiuses, a thread, a slot, nothing major. Nothing complex. Nothing Nothing like you're doing nowadays. Oh, absolutely not. Okay,
1: so it was a simpler pioneer at that time. Yes, so where did the paradigm shift start to change? Obviously, you breathed a new culture into the company. Mm-hmm. You were out there. You were doing cold calling. You were bringing in new customers. Mm-hmm. The pricing was going up. You were obviously saw your margins getting higher. You were starting to make a little bit more oh, yeah. money. Did you start investing back into the company? Not really. Okay. We
2: were kind of like, Old manufacturers, we were, you know, basically we were were happy. We had a good team. We didn't have enough reason to change. We didn't want to leave our comfort zone back then. Okay. And then 2012 happened.
1: Tell us a little bit about the Great Recession and how it hit Pioneer and what you went through.
2: Slowly but surely, we kept losing job after job. Due
1: to pricing or something. It
2: went overseas. Right. There was no way that we were going to compete. We weren't even getting feedback. It was that bad. And again, a lot of my competitors were starting to close their doors, especially in 2009. That's when I really was, it was very eye-opening. But 2011 and 12, it was like, I need to do something. I had a salesperson that worked for me for a couple of months in the late 90s, but that was it. I did all sales.
1: Was it a manufacturer's rep? or
2: No, it was actually a salesperson. Outside salesperson. No, inside salesperson. Inside, okay. It was less than a year. Okay. In all honesty, I felt like I knew my company better. It was really hard to train someone to understand the processes. Not that it was complex, but salespeople needed really high salaries, and they wanted commission, and Mm -hmm. it was like, I can figure this out. But in 2011, I realized this is no longer something that I can do by myself. And so that's when I started looking for a salesperson. And ironically, it was through networking that I found my current director of sales.
1: And he or she is still with you today? Yes. Okay.
2: And so that fortunately opened up some doors, but it also came to a realization that we're not going to change. We're not going to find opportunities. Everything really
1: is all about changing. It is. It is. And And it's, it's, it's tough. You have to really push yourself out of your comfort zone and go into that risk box, right? Mm -hmm. Because every time you make a change within your company, there's always an amount of risk associated with making that change, right? Absolutely. But if you don't take that risk and you don't do anything, you're never going to advance. And it's tough. Yeah. And that's what I want the metalworking nation to hear and feel from you, from me, from anybody else that shares the story. And I really want them to know that it really is all about taking baby steps forward, mm-hmm. moderate risk, and you will eventually see the reward. <laughs>
0: Jim, the East Building has four pavilions. Tell me what these pavilions mean to you. EDM. Electronic Discharge Machining. Quality Assurance. You guys make quality parts?
1: Absolutely. And that's a big deal nowadays, too, because everyone can machine parts, but not everybody can machine a quality part. How about controls and CAD-CAM? CAD-CAM is it, man. We use Mastercam in my shop. There's many, many other manufacturers, quality manufacturers of CAD-CAM systems. That and there's going to be
0: more this time around at IMTS. Very
1: well represented,
0: I'm sure. And then the last pavilion is components, cleaning, and environmental.
1: Environmental, another big thing. Got to keep your shops clean. A lot of your big OEMs won't even do work with you unless you're on ISO 14001, which is an environmental certification. So Eat off that floor. You got to eat off that floor. You got everything's got to be 5S to the hilt. Place has got to look good. But uh, I'm telling you right now, if if you want
0: to find out about this stuff, go to imts.com.
1: IMTS, early bird pricing is before August 10th, September 10th through the 15th. Mark it on your calendar now. In preparation for our interview today, I did a little research and I went to your LinkedIn page and I just love your motto on your LinkedIn page. May I read it? Absolutely. It says, manufacturers are makers. The process of bringing people together to make something that will go on to serve a bigger purpose is where my passion lies. Knowing that the parts that leave my shop are contributing to the world at large, touching lives, and benefiting people fuels my passion. I love that, Anissa. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. Thank you. What was your mindset behind that? I don't even believe that you didn't even think that hard about writing that. It just flowed mm-hmm. from you. It fills you-
2: my days. Yeah. And because it fills my days, it comes very natural. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine myself being devoted, except for my family and my faith, anything else more so than in this industry, whether it be through pioneer or outreach or whatever. Manufacturing is so important. It's been my livelihood my whole life. And we joke in our family that blood flows through our veins and not blood. I'm sorry, oil. I was just going to say, I knew,
1: I knew what you were going to say. Yeah, <laughs> oil.
2: You know, the I think, hydraulic oil. Yeah, like the, exactly. the spindle oil. Yeah, absolutely. Cutting oil. Cutting oil, grinding oil, every, yeah. all, every types of oil. Right. But it's who we are. It's what we do. It's what I feel. I joke about it outside of Pioneer. And sometimes I feel like there's something about being in manufacturing that gives us a different way of thinking, not that we're smarter or anything like that right. you know, by any means, but I feel like when you think about and appreciate what manufacturers do, and I think it's a responsibility for us as manufacturers mm-hmm. to deliver that message and make people understand and appreciate what a maker is, because not everybody needs to work in manufacturing, but they should know what it's about. Mm -hmm.
1: So another thing on your LinkedIn page was breaking boundaries. Why are you breaking boundaries and what does that mean to you? Uh, Please elaborate on that.
2: Sure. So breaking boundaries is everything from walking my shop floor and seeing it being clean and organized, that's breaking boundaries, to hiring anyone and everyone from the United Nations. You know, you see every age, diversity. And when I think of diversity, absolutely it is. And when I think of diversity, I don't necessarily think of different backgrounds as far as race, religion, even age. I think of perspectives. I think of this person doesn't look and sound like me, so he or she will bring value.
1: I could not agree with you more. I could not agree with you more. You know, Jason and I, We don't think we're conventional manufacturers either. And we really want the Metalworking Nation, the people that listen to the show, to rethink their interpretation of manufacturing. Can you share with with us and the Metalworking Nation why you're different? I'm not different. Okay.
2: I like coffee. You like coffee? I do. Okay, well then we're the same <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> You're so red right now <laughs> <Am I>? <laughs> Sorry <laughs> No, I love it, I love it, I love it.
1: You, you brought it right I, back
2: at me That's I, what
1: we're supposed to do here
2: I am no different than Jim Carr
1: That's right I want to
2: deliver a quality product I want a legacy that my grand- grandchildren could look on and be proud of I want my children to thrive in this world I want to make money.
1: Well, that's why we come in, right? Because we like nice things and we want to have a healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that unless you're making money, right?
2: Yeah, but I don't want it to define me either. Right. So I love that I do what I love. You know, I every day come into work and just like everyone else have my own challenges running the company. But if I don't love what I do, then why come in? Because it's not just about the money.
1: It know? really is not just about the money. No. You have to be happy in what you're doing and what you're making out on the shop floor, and you have to be proud of it. You have to be proud to have, you know. In my case, my name is on the building. My name is on mm-hmm. all the parts that ship out of my shop. I had to be proud of that. It's very personal when I ship parts out of my shop, and my name is on that part. So absolutely, it really it really is. So. What are some of the key things you've learned about being a successful business owner? And did you have any aha moments that have really made sweeping changes within your company?
2: So I feel like I've been in the business so long that those aha moments happen all the time, but I just don't realize that they're aha moments sometimes. Mm -hmm. But if I were to say one thing about my learning experience as a business owner in manufacturing is that suppliers are partners. Employees are partners. Customers are partners. It's not about making a great deal. It's about building a relationship to make multiple deals. It's about making people feel good about doing business with you. Sure, you know, like every employer and every customer, sometimes you kind of have to start negotiating or start feeling like you're nickeling and diming your people. You got to take a step back and say, look at big picture. Where do you want to be? What is the goal? Because if someone's working for me because they have to, I'd rather them walk out the door. If a supplier is supplying me and doesn't care about my end user... I'd rather them not supply me a product. It's about building that relationship and helping me when I need help and then also helping them when they need help. It's a relationship.
1: It is. I love that you shared that because I feel that same wisdom as well. We, we have core values within our business and part of our core values is flying first class and we don't necessarily mean you know flying first class on an airline. We necessarily mean, well, we do mean respecting people In a first-class manner. And when we say respecting people, it's our customers, our vendors, our employees, everybody that we come in contact with because we believe that that external force that's emulating from us always comes back and it's creating a positive aura around us. And people are genuinely attracted to that and people keep coming back because of that reason. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. What is the what is your vision for pioneer in the next five to ten years? I know you ju- we just took a tour through your shop, you said you're buying quite a few new pieces of equipment. Mm -hmm. We're in a manufacturing renaissance. I believe everybody that's in manufacturing right now are having good things happen. Do you have any of your children in the business? What is your five to 10-year vision for Pioneer?
2: Well, like I said earlier, I'm pretty much going to be buying 12 machines for 2018.
1: Congratulations. Thank
2: you. Thank you. So we're going to be at 21 Swiss machines by the end of this year. And then we have our CNC turning centers and obviously our centerless grinders and even our older machines, the Brown and Sharps, we still have a need for that. But I feel that manufacturing right now everyone's busy and there's every industry that we touch is busy. And so we're very, very grateful for that because we weren't like that a few years ago. (laughs) Remember 2008,
1: 2009, it wasn't pretty.
2: It wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. But I feel like the skilled workforce, that is the cloud over our, like any other manufacturer out there, the lack of skilled workforce. I think what my goal is, is to incorporate outreach into my day to day as much as possible. My son's at UIC currently okay. and he's a mechanical engineer and he plans on coming in and uh, helping me run the business. My daughter-in-law also works in inspection, who I love dearly and I'm very fortunate to have them around me and they have really good work ethics because it's really difficult to work with family. It you know, is. the entitled millennials, you know, we got to get rid of those bad stereotypes we and we need to develop these new face into manufacturing and inspire them. And so we have to remove those stereotypes and and inspire and develop. And so, yeah, my my goal is to hopefully... In 2019, get at least six more machines. I think I'm going to be really aggressive in 2018 by getting 12, and hopefully you um, might taper
1: back a little bit in 19.
2: Depending on you know the the demand is there, I I am not one to shy away from cutting an order for machines.
1: Right, Uh, it's kind of exciting.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Star knows that about me, and they love it. They've been a huge partner in my development in developing Pioneer into what we are today. So I plan on buying as many as needed, but really... Realistically, I feel that we're gonna probably double in size in 2018, and then maybe after that, maybe 20 to 30, 40 percent every year after that for the next five years. Awesome,
1: that's great. It doesn't it feel good to be in manufacturing right now?
2: Absolutely. When I talk
1: to people, when I hear other people's stories and being in this business for decades, I mean, I, I used to get physically sick to my stomach every recession we used to go to. I used to remember that and used to have all this work and then boom, there was nothing. And then there was nothing to do. The shop would go down to 32 hours. There wasn't any more overtime and then we'd get busy again and then everything was going good and then all of a sudden there'd be another recession. So I've lived through many of them in my life. Of course, the 2008 recession was just gut-wrenching. Yeah. It was horrible. Same for us. And I don't ever want to feel that again in my lifetime. And I'm doing everything I can to mitigate it. So if we do go into a recession that we're not going to feel that pain or the pain that I felt, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to translate that pain to any of my employees or people that I touch. So you mentioned the skilled workforce. Tell me just briefly what you're doing to, we all know that we need employees that are, have skills to work in a manufacturing facility. What are you doing to really amp up that or train? Do you have a training program or Mm -hmm. where are you recruiting people from, Anissa?
2: Well, for us, manufacturing day is every day, like all manufacturers. So we open up our doors all year round not just on Manufacturing Day. We do a lot of outreach. I work with a lot of local officials, everybody from the mayor, the congressman, even the lieutenant governor. We work with local schools. We've been very fortunate that we've been able to do a lot of internal training. So we've been very, on-the-job training has been very successful for us personally. But I see that that's going to be a problem in the years to come. And so that's why, you know, I think it was Deloitte that released that report that by 2025, there's going to be two and a half million jobs unfilled. That's scary. That's daunting. That is. And how is that not going to affect us? It's going to. Well, so. I think
1: we're going to have to get more innovative, and I think automation is going to be a big thing for the future.
2: You know, I'm all for innovation and cutting costs, but I want people on my shop floor. I'd rather have people than robots. I'm not saying that. Not to have robots, but I'm just saying there has to be, we have to have that people touch because otherwise, what's manufacturing but machines? It's manufacturing is people, it's skills, and that's where I want to go and that's what I want to develop. And it doesn't matter if they work for me or someone else, but I feel like, again, going back to what I said earlier, as manufacturers, we have a responsibility to educate the people outside of manufacturing to realize what value we bring. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, they want to buy American products. Yeah. We're gonna keep them on shore. It's gonna help us develop not only the skilled workforce but the demand that we didn't have back in 2009, 2008. And so it's important that that full circle is every aspect is touched. And I think that through that, And, you know, I go to a lot of events and I've been part of a lot of outreach programs. And what I find to be so intriguing is that when people are educated about manufacturing, that sparks a passion for it. You know, it could be engineering. And then through that, it goes into production. It can be STEM events. It can be local events. It could just even have a school tour and have these you know, students come in through your shop and see what the process of making something is about.
1: Right. Well, you, you have to stimulate their minds so they can see what the potential is within the industry. Mm-hmm, That's what it's at a young age.
2: At a very young age. Yeah. I believe that by junior high school. is too late. You know, when you ask your child, he or she are usually six or seven years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, it's either policeman, doctor, fireman. Well, they don't know what manufacturing. They don't know manufacturing yeah. They should know they manufacturing. Should know. They
1: need to come into our facilities and see what we're doing yeah. and get inspired by inspired it.
2: Inspired and understand the purpose behind being a maker. Because even with right now our workforce, a lot of them it's robotic mm-hmm. and their passion isn't there. So I feel like if you're not passionate about this industry, Yeah, we need a skilled workforce, we need more bodies, but we want the right bodies. We don't want people going home and hating their job. We want them to understand what is it that they're making. And if we as business owners aren't educating our shop floor people in understanding where those parts are going, you know, I go out there, we have screens back there and we show the industries we touch. I go out there with my phone whenever I get feedback from a customer. And you know you show them. That I show saying, them
1: Hey, look at they're very happy with the parts treating we
2: cancer. Treat- I'm oh, showing oh them a, a bioengineer emails and they are developing a product to treat cancer. And he sends us an email thanking us and that he's successful and it's going into production and we are gonna be their supplier.
1: Oh, that's, Jim. I know, that's goosebumps. Jim,
2: that's like, what that's is, awesome. you know, that's meaning that's of time. life. Yeah. That is, that is, I'm not a doctor. I don't have a either. degree to treat people. Right. I'm not a brain surgeon, but this is as close as it's going to be for me. Right. That's and awesome. the people that are involved in doing that should also feel that reward. And if they're on the shop floor, just because they don't have a computer in front of them, they deserve to know.
1: They do. I could not agree with you more. Anissa, like Car Machine and Tool, you're members of the Valley Industrial Association in Geneva, Illinois, and you recently were the recipient of their Spark Award for Community Outreach. Can you tell me and the Metalworking Nation what Pioneer is doing as a community outreach, advocate, and share with us some of the highlights of that evening?
2: Yeah, that evening was amazing. I I have to thank Kathy Gilmore. Uh, She's just doing a phenomenal job at VIA, and I'm proud to be on the board. She's a
1: special person. She
2: is a very special person, and she's a good friend of mine. What we're doing, what I'm doing from Pioneer Service, my team and I, we're going into schools. We're talking about our careers. We're opening up our doors. We're letting people in. We're talking to politicians. We're working with nonprofit organizations that are developing programs, going back to breaking boundaries, uh, WorkNet, DuPage is working on, and they're very involved in removing that stigma as well of manufacturing and other male-dominated industries. And so we're introducing this industry to people that, would not necessarily see it, and we're also educating the educators, and we're educating the parents because it's it, very
1: important. It is The important. parents are one of the biggest influencers, right?
2: They're, they are the influence. Right. They're they're the ones that are flipping the bill for tuition right. when there's jobs down the street, right. and they don't and realize. Them. Yeah, and in, to their defense, you know, my dad was in manufacturing his whole life, and I've been in manufacturing my whole life, and people on the shop floor were laid off. Mm-hmm. And so they don't want that for their kids. Exactly. The inconsistency of the industry, they don't want that for their kids.
1: Well, that's what happened in the Great Recession that everybody got laid off. Absolutely. and there was It was such a deep, long recessionary time that everybody that was skilled in our industry went to other mm-hmm. industries like real estate sure. or construction or whatever. And they saw that and that's the image that they have of manufacturing. They don't believe that we're consistent Mm -hmm. in our workforce.
2: Absolutely. And again, it goes back to us and it's our jobs to educate those parents because the modern machining, modern manufacturing is different today.
1: Totally different. Anissa, we're just rocking through the time here. And in closing, we just have a few minutes left. And I always like to ask the people that I'm interviewing because you, you have a lot of wisdom. You've been in the industry for many decades. Can you leave us with three bullet points of the most important things you've learned in manufacturing that will equip and inspire a current or future manufacturing leader? Just three? Just three. (laughs) Just three good ones. Good ones. Um, Just three really good ones. Number
2: one, I would say get your hands dirty. Nothing is more valuable than hands-on experience. And you could be working for accounting you could be working you know, as a salesperson. If you don't understand the processes of the company that you're representing, you're lacking mm-hmm. for your job. You're not doing your job well enough because that I feel like is a huge value and, and a personal value, not just for the company, but for you within. Another one is believe in yourself and get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Embracing innovation, embracing yeah. relationships, building those relationships, and remembering that leadership is not feminine and it's not masculine. We oh, all can one. be leaders, and so find your niche and shine. Don't limit yourself. Fabulous. And a third, this is probably the most difficult part of my job: is dealing with arrogance. We're all guilty of it. Right. We, you know, humility opens up doors. And makes you go home and feel good about yourself and makes the environment such a good one to come to. And so when I look at my team, I want them to come into work every day and love what they do. And if I have a chip on my shoulder, it's not likely they're going to feel that. And I'm going to go home feeling miserable too. So. We all need to learn from each other, no matter who we are, no matter what positions we hold. Whether it be, you know, again, going back to the stereotypes of entitled millennials or old white manufacturing, we got to get rid of that. And we have to embrace one another and work together to keep the business onshore.
1: Anissa, I have to tell you, this has been one of the best interviews I've ever done. You had more than exceeded my expectations of a manufacturing leader. And I'm proud to be here at Pioneer with you and learn your whole story. Thank you.
2: Congratulations, Jim and Jason, on your success in making chips. And thank you for bringing back to the industry.
0: You know, Jim, that was a great interview. I've never actually met Anisa. I would love to meet her. So Anisa, if you're listening, <laughs> let's reach out. Let's have lunch. I'd love to meet you. And there was a couple things in the interview that I'd really like to, you know, maybe dig a little deeper and, and really understand let's dig. Um, Get your but, shovel. from her perspective. But her statement about us all being the same. I think that that was very impactful. And then also her statement about it being every day is manufacturing day at her shop. I think that that was impactful. The doors are always open. She's always welcoming students and politicians and whoever else to come in there and talk about manufacturing to see what they're doing, to see the progress that they're making and how they're growing their business. And I'm just imagining in my mind this 12, 13 year old girl running around running grinding machines and answering the phones and all that kind of stuff. And I've got my daughter, I don't even know if I should talk about this live. I'm making chips. My daughter is going to be starting at Zenger's this summer. She's going to be working a day a week and just, you know, answering the phones and welcoming customers and just, you know, kind of getting used to the business a little bit just to kind of develop that work ethic like Anissa, her dad pushed her to develop for herself. I'm going to be doing that for my daughter. I mean, her and I have been talking about that for a while and she's ready and she wants to. Make a little bit of money. And no, I think it'll be good for her to not just say, well, I'm just gonna sit back and hang out with my friends all summer. No, you gotta work a day a week. It's, it's okay when you're that young to work a little bit in the family business and we've all learned. Exactly. We've exactly. all done. It. I think nowadays parents are just they're afraid to push their kids into working tomorrow. It's like, oh, they're a student, let them enjoy themselves. No, they need to develop a work ethic and they need to develop that at a young age. And look at like how driven Anissa is as a person now. Because of how she was shaped as a very very young girl, so I think that that was impactful and kind I of agree. confirms what I was already planning to do with my daughter this summer.
1: I think that's a very wise decision. I did it as a young man. Yeah, you were probably
0: working at thirteen years old in the shop too. I don't know. If I,
1: I was. I was. I had to think a little harder. <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago, and you know, my kids it was like seventy years ago. Right? How many? <laughs>
0: It feels. Devins, it feels like. Cat, it, let me tell you. Get out your adding machine, Jim. Oh, yeah, I know. you're
1: right. <laughs> I'll tell you. It seems like 70 years ago, but yeah, it's good. And my kids came to work for me as well, and there's nothing wrong with it at all. It does shape you. I think that's a really good word. It mm-hmm. shapes you as a a person and an individual, and it makes you more aware that to spend a dollar, you got to make a dollar. So. With that, I don't have anything else. I, you know, the only thing that I can think about is for our call to action is just to get
0: out there, meet the people in your community, meet the yeah. people in your industry. Don't just, you know, like meet the people that you already know. I mean, there's there's a lot of people out there like Anissa who is the same but different, and you need to get out and know those people and learn their stories. Bam. As always thank you for listening to the making chips podcast you need to increase the speed and feed of your business if you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership you're going to get left behind the metalworking nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time. Wait, is
1: the halo still over my head?
0: Well, I don't think that's ever been there, but (laughs) I I maybe need a little vacation from you. But, you know, (laughs) no, I'm just. We need a retreat, is what we need. (laughs) Yeah, maybe.